Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Psalm 23, very familiar passage. Scripture, and I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. English Standard Version. When you have it, say amen. If you don't have it, say give me a minute. All right. Psalm begins, uh, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to use as uh, our title and a thought in the form of a question, do you know the shepherd? Do you know the shepherd? Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Lord, there is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. God, we thank you that there is power in the name of Jesus, that when we um, call on Jesus, oh God, things change. And Lord, we thank you for being our shepherd this morning. We thank you that everything we need is found in you. And so God, as we've come, uh, we've come indeed with needs. We may not uh, realize that need, but I pray that this morning you would help us and show us that everything that our soul longs for and needs is found in you. Lord, we pray that this morning that you would do what only you can do through the power of your Holy Spirit. It's not through cleverly devised words or cleverly constructed sermons, uh, but it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that makes preaching effective, that makes the words of uh, your scripture come alive in us. And so, Lord, we pray that the words of my mouth the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. Lord, we thank you that you are our rock, that you are our strength, and that you are our redeemer. And in your name that we pray, say all these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Amen. So Psalm 23 is perhaps one of uh, the most popular, if not the most popular psalm of all time. It's quoted far more than any other psalm that we can uh, think of. And even people who don't know the Bible can recite Psalm 23. Even if they don't know the book, the chapter, or the verse, all you got to do is begin, the Lord is my shepherd, and usually people can find their way from there. A mother was teaching her daughter how to 
uh, rehearse and recite and memorize this uh, famous passage because uh, she wanted her daughter to recite it to uh, her daughter's father and took about a week of practice. The daughter finally thought that she was ready to uh, rehearse it to her dad and her mother called her dad into the other room and the daughter began to recite it saying, the Lord is my shepherd and that's all I want. And so even though she didn't recite the psalm verbatim, she uh, may have gotten it more correct than we realized. And while it's one thing to be able to recite Psalm 23, it's quite another to know the God of Psalm 23. You see, Psalm uh, 23 is a personalized song that is developed from a place of deep intimacy it's penned by uh, a person who knows and has firsthand knowledge and experience of what it means to be a shepherd. You see, David uh, would become the greatest king uh, in the reign of Israel, but it doesn't, he doesn't forget where he comes from. Uh, if this song were a modern musical genre, it will most likely be soul because of uh, the way he's able to capture the feelings and emotion throughout every line of this passage. And shepherding was no foreign concept to ancient Israel. They were familiar with the profession. In fact, scripture is filled with the presence of shepherds, the Israelite patriarchs from Abraham uh, to Jacob and his 12 sons were all shepherds. When God takes uh, Moses to Egypt and then uh, from Egypt into the wilderness, he becomes a shepherd. The greatest king who penned this passage is formerly a shepherd. The shepherds were the first ones to, to get the news that uh, the Messiah was born and, and, and they were shepherds in the field. And it was Jesus who calls himself in John, 12, John 10, the good shepherd. And then pastors are called to shepherd God's flock that has been entrusted to, to them. And what we see uh, from David reveals a deep truth that you can take a boy from the pasture, but you can't take the pasture out of the boy. The one thing that I want to communicate as a main idea, if you're taking notes, is very simple, very easy to remember, and that is that everything I need begins with knowing the shepherd. Everything that I need begins with knowing the shepherd. It, it begins when your relationship status goes from it's complicated to in relationship. And so there's three ways to determine my relationship status with the shepherd based on this passage in ways that, and it communicates how we know, in fact, that we do know the shepherd. The first thing is you must recognize your sheepness. Recognize your sheepness. I know that's not really a word, but bear with me. We're going somewhere. Um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, verse 1 says. In order for David to address and see the Lord as his shepherd, it required him to take the posture of a sheep. 
And as David considers his life uh, and uh, he attempts to find a way to articulate and put into words the description of, um, of God and who he is for him and what he's been for him, I can imagine that his mind goes uh, back through the grand halls of this palace and down the dusty streets of Jerusalem into the pastures of Bethlehem in Judea when he was just a young shepherd boy tending his father's sheep. And he sees himself among uh, the flock. He comes to understand uh, God in a much more personal way. And all of a sudden, David recognizes his own cheapness. And what he sees is that he needs instruction. You see, sheep are quite, they're not the most intelligent animal. So he sees that he needs instruction, but also he says that he needs protection. See, shepherds are very dependent. But then he sees he needs provision. He sees that he's uh, defenseless and needs protection, and he says um, he needs the defense of the shepherd. But he also needs direction because he's distracted by the cares of life. You see, of all the livestock that God created, the sheep is the most needing of external help. Truly, without the intervention of uh, the shepherd, the sheep will not be able to, to survive the dangers of the wild. Sheep were created to be shepherded. Now, I know today uh, in our culture and in our time, uh, to be called a sheep is not really uh, a badge of honor. To call a person a sheep is something and somewhat of um, a negative title. But David sees himself and communicates that as my shepherd, that means I am a sheep. And notice he says, my shepherd. He doesn't say a shepherd. He doesn't, says, he doesn't say the shepherd or your shepherd. He says, my shepherd. Jehovah Roha is my shepherd. It's personal for David. It's one thing for your mother to know the shepherd. It's one thing for your father or your grandmother or grandfather to know the shepherd. But when you need help in your time of need, when you need protection uh, from the threats of life, when you need to call on the shepherd, do you know the shepherd? It's one thing for your mother to call on on God in her time of need. It's one thing for your father to call out for God in his time of need, but in your time of need, when your mama and daddy isn't around, you've got to know that the Lord is my shepherd. And David understands the bond between a shepherd and a sheep. You see, only a person who himself was a shepherd could write a psalm so beautifully personal as this. He says, because he's my shepherd, he says, I shall not want. I shall not want. David is talking about true contentment. And it's been said we have so much, yet we are so little content. We have so much, yet we are so little content. 
How many of you, um, before the events of COVID-19, complained about your job, only to wish now you had one? How many of us were so discontent before uh, this whole pandemic spread? Or better yet, how many of us are discontent even now? You see, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 1.8 that the eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear with hearing. There's a sense in which uh, we have more than we've ever had, and yet we are no more content. The more we have, the more we want. There's this angst and unsettledness in our hearts as we pursue things that come uh, with all kinds of pressure from external to internal. Our hearts are unsettled, trying to uh, be content with the things of this earth. We try to build our wealth. We try to build our status. We try to build our social media presence. Yet, we are far less content in the shepherd. Paul reminds us that in 1 Timothy 6, 6, that godliness with contentment is great gain. What good is godliness if you aren't content with God? But David says, because the Lord is my shepherd, he's truly content. This is the plea and should be the plea of our hearts that we would find contentment in the shepherd Today, So do you know the good shepherd? Have you recognized your sheepness? And Jesus in John 10 says that I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep hear my voice and follow me. This verse sets the trajectory for the entire passage, which he expresses as to why um, he has no need to want. Verse 1, he is setting up why he has no need to want. And he, we, we exp he expresses this in point number two, which is uh, reliance on the shepherd. First, I must recognize my sheepness, but then there must be a reliance on the shepherd. In verses 2 through 5, we see that. In verse 2, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This is David relying on the shepherd for rest and refreshment. And David is highlighting the action of, of the shepherd and what he does in taking um, or, 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 or taking um, action on behalf of his sheep. When he says he makes me lie down, David is saying he knows me better than I know me. So as a father of four kids, uh, you know, I've seen that my kids can't fathom the benefit of having a nap at nap time. I mean, they just they don't understand how good that life is. They think that they can go all day and all night with no rest and no naps. As long as you feed them breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and let them snack in between each meal, then, uh, then they are good. 
They feel like naps are just an inconvenience. But as a parent, I know my children better than they know themselves. And quite often, I know when they just need to get over there and lay down somewhere. And it just so happens that not only do they need a nap, but they need somewhere to to take that nap. They need to have a bed to nap in. So I've worked in order that they might have a bed to sleep in. And you see, God is no different. As a shepherd, he knows when his sheep need rest. And because of the nature of the sheep, they don't recognize certain things will benefit them, but God knows exactly what we need when we need it. But he doesn't just make his sheep uh, lie down anywhere. David makes a point to point out that it's green pastures. You see, shepherds would not just lead their sheep to graze in green meadows, but there were many times when they actually had to cultivate the land by digging up hazardous plants and shrubs that were poisonous in order to ensure that the landscape was Uh, proper and safe for grazing. You see that God will not only give you rest, but he'll put you in the right place to take that rest. And the question I have is that God is working, but are you resting? God is working, but are you resting? Jesus would say in Matthew 11 and 28, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Rest. Jesus gives us rest in the place of green pastures. But, but there's also not only rest there, there's also refreshment. For what good is it to rest if you can't be refreshed? And what is it to be refreshed but to satisfy your thirst? When David says he leads me beside still waters, he he, he knows that water is an essential resource for the health of the sheep. W. Philip Keller writes in his popular book entitled A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. He says that water determines the vitality, strength, and vigor of the sheep and is essential to its health and general well-being. When sheep are thirsty, they become restless. Anybody ever felt like that? And set out to in search of water. If not led to the good water supplies of clean, pure water, they often end up drinking from polluted potholes, where they pick up such internal uh, parasites as nematodes, liver flukes, and other disease germs. You see, outside of Christ, we are being led by by polluted streams, if you will. Our souls are restless and they're dehydrated. And only Jesus can truly be the one who gives us the rest, but also gives us the refreshment we need. Say, Jesus says, blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness for they will be filled. In other words, they will be satisfied. The problem is that so many people are trying to quench their thirsty souls on juice box-sized saviors. 
Have you been there? Out playing basketball all day in the Florida heat, and you need uh, something to drink, and somebody offers you a Capri Sun, and you don't just grab one. You got to grab two or three or four of those Capri Suns because uh, uh, the, the, the small package won't uh, deliver the satisfaction of your thirst at that moment. You see, when you're really thirsty, you need more than one. And we need to be reminded today that the refreshment that we desire, the satisfaction that we are thirsting for, can really and truly only be satisfied by the one who says, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Jesus is the good shepherd. He offers real and lasting satisfaction that uh, refreshes the soul. David goes on to express his reliance on the shepherd when he says in verse 3, He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. This is David now uh, relying on the shepherd to save and sustain. He restores my soul literally means he saves my life. Because of how the sheep's body is made, sheep often have moments when they find themselves cast. A cast sheep is a sheep who's lost its center of gravity and finds uh, itself on its back and it can't get up. And as the blood flows away from uh, the legs of the sheep, gas begins to build up in their stomach, and many times they will begin to cry out for help. And they can actually die within a few hours if the shepherd doesn't restore them by turning them back over and allowing them to regain uh, their feeling and their balance. You see, a good shepherd will maintain an accurate count of, of, of his sheep and uh, by, by making sure over and over again that he takes a consistent inventory in the event that the count is off the good shepherd will go and search for the sheep because several things could have happened to have harmed the sheep and Jesus this morning is the good shepherd who will leave the 99 in search of the one who is lost but God wouldn't be much of a shepherd if he saved you, but couldn't keep you. David says that he's a saving God and a keeping God. When he says he leads me in the paths of righteousness, he's communicating God's ability to sustain him by keeping him on the path that will please God. David goes on to write in verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. This is David here communicating the shepherd, uh, his presence and his protection. And we see clearly that even though David is in the valley, there's movement there. There's movement there. There's still progress in the valley. Vision may be limited in the valley. But the voice of the shepherd is loud and clear. And Jesus said, my sheep 
know my voice, and they follow me. When you're in a valley, it's important that you don't quit. It's important that you don't give up. You got to keep going. I love what Tony Evans says when he says, a valley is just a mountain waiting to happen. A valley is just a mountain waiting to happen. You are going to get through it because uh, you keep following the lead of the shepherd. And I know there's a lot of voices in the valley that's, that's, that's calling for you. There's a lot of voices down in the valley that want to uh, draw your attention and, 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 and distract you from following the voice of the shepherd. But his sheep know his voice. And that's why we ask the question, do you know the shepherd? But how is it that you are able to continue in the valley and not give up unless you are in relationship with the one who is leading you through it? And you've got to be a person who is in a relationship with God in order to know his voice. And listen, you can't, you can't just know his voice. You've got to know his word. Because every time you open the word, God opens his mouth. And so in order to know his voice, you've got to be in his word. You can't get caught up looking at the mountain wishing you were up there. Because if you're too hasty, you may find uh, that you run into some things you were meant to avoid while you're in the valley. And the key to surviving in the valley is to look to the one guiding and leading you through the valley. You see, when God is leading you, you can be in the right valley while others are on the wrong mountain. And you can be in the right mountain while others are in the wrong valley. The point is, wherever God is leading you is right. Wherever God is taking you is the right place. As long as he's leading you, he's the one who's taking you there and protecting you. And even when the shadows of death surround me in the valley, David says that those who know the shepherd, they don't have to fear. Because the shepherd is present. And here's the thing, God is just as present in the valley of the shadow of death as he is on the mountaintop. He hasn't abandoned his sheep, if you will. And then he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was a weapon to protect uh, in harm, in times of harm, and the staff was used to pull away uh, from harm. And David is saying, I don't have to fear because the Lord is armed and dangerous. The Lord is armed and dangerous. So while you may be in the valley of the shadow of death, know that Jesus has walked through the valley to have a showdown with death. Jesus, he came and he walked this earth going through the things that we go through and facing temptation after temptation, yet he was without sin. And then Jesus goes to Calvary and takes upon himself our sin. 
in exchange for his righteousness. And he walks through the valley all the way to the point of death so that we only merely face the shadow of death. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's willing to protect them even if it costs him his life. And on the cross, Jesus overshadowed sin by covering it with his blood and in his resurrection and death. Our last and greatest enemy was put to death. So you may be uh, seeing shadows in the valley, but know that, that God is with you in the valley. He's present and he's protecting you while you are there. And so there doesn't need to be uh, anxiety. There doesn't need to be fear. In fact, Paul would remind us in Philippians 4 to be anxious for nothing. But in everything, a prayer and petition or supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then what's the promise? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Isaiah would say, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So you can have confidence in the valley. You can have no fear in the valley when you know the shepherd. David shows his reliance on God when he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. David, uh, this is David relying on the shepherd to supply and sanctify. This table is being uh, prepared, is happening in the company of danger. And whether you know it or not, we are always under the threat of danger. The Bible says that in 1 Peter, our adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone he can devour. When a lion sees a little old sheep away from the flock, guess what that lion is getting ready to do? He's getting ready to attack. He's getting ready to devour that lion when he is found himself strayed away. This is why we need the protection of the shepherd. This is why we need the, 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 the community of believers. And I'm so glad that when Jesus saves us, he does not save us in, for isolation, but he puts us in a community so that we can be connected with other sheep, so that we can uh, be in relationship not only with him, but with one another, and so that you know that you're not alone in this battle. But even though... The enemy is prowling. The good shepherd is preparing. He's supplying what you need and more. Although there are threats all around you, he's setting up this table in the presence of your enemies. You see, it was customary that when, when guests would be invited to uh, a feast, the host would anoint uh, his guests with oil as he welcomed them into his home to partake of the feast. And in this 
public display of his favor, God is able to supply above and beyond doing this in the presence of your enemies. But this isn't, this isn't always and merely physical blessings. It's far more and beyond, which leads David to uh, point three. He says, rejoice in the sanctuary of God. Rejoice in the sanctuary of God. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. At the end of the day, it's not the fact that we get green pastures or quiet waters or restoration or sustaining grace, protection, or even provision. The fact is, we get the shepherd. We get the shepherd. To know him is to love him, and to love him is to know that you have everything you need in him. That his goodness, which is his kindness, and his mercy, which is his unmerited favor, are, not, are in hot pursuit and chasing you wherever you are and wherever you go. David's ultimate desire isn't that he'll remain king in Israel. It's not that he'll always have the riches and wealth of the kingdom. It's not even that his name will be remembered. His desire is to dwell in the sanctuary of God. To dwell with the Lord forever. How many of us can say that our desire is to dwell with the Lord forever? Oh, we have a lot of desires. We have a lot of things that we want. We have a lot of things that we chase after, but how many of us really desire to dwell with the Lord forever? What would your time say about what you desire? What, would, what, would you, uh, what is it that consumes your thoughts would say what you desire? How about the way in which you live day in and day out? Would it communicate that you desire to dwell in the house of the Lord Forever. See, it can't just be in lips only. It must be a, 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 a heart posture that leads to a, a, a way that we live out this, uh, this faith that we profess, that we have. What would the people that know you the best say about your life and how it communicates your desire. See, these are the things that are, are hard to reckon with, but, but we have to ask ourselves these hard questions in order to uh, constantly examine whether or not we know the shepherd. What is it that I'm seeking after? David says his desire is to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He says in Psalm 24, one thing I have desired of the Lord and that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David had one desire and that was to dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. You see, when you know the good shepherd, all you want to do is be in his presence and graze in his pasture. Only when you know the good shepherd can you know that everything you need has been provided in him. So what about you? Have you come to a place where you can say the Lord is my shepherd? Is it a, is it a personal relationship? You may be here and you say that, uh, well, I don't yet have a personal relationship. See, what you have to realize and you have to understand is that this is not some relationship that you can manufacture in and of your own strength and in and of your own will. It is a relationship that happens as a result of the Spirit making you alive because the Bible says that apart from a relationship with Jesus, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. We are, by nature, children of wrath. That we are already under the judgment of God. And beloved, this is why Jesus entered into humanity. John 1 says that uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John jumps down to uh, verse 14, and he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The reason that Jesus becomes flesh is to restore right relationship uh, with God and with one another. And he lives the perfect life. He dies the death that we deserve so that we can now, by faith, believe in what he's done. Because if you could do it, there would be absolutely no need for him to come. There would be absolutely no need for, for him to uh, become flesh and dwell among us. But our problem was such a God-sized problem that only God could do it. He, could, he was the only one who could fix it. And because man rebelled against God, only a man could pay the penalty for what a man had done. So he has to be 100% God, and he has to be 100% man. And this is what we see in the incarnation, is that Jesus takes on flesh in order to remedy the problem of sin. And here's the truth this morning, brothers and sisters. If Jesus can't do it or didn't do it, no one else can. But when he's on the cross, his final words are, it is finished. And do you know what it is finished means? It has been paid in full. And so now I can cease, I can rest from striving to please God. My walk is not an attempt to earn favor with God. But grace says that I've favored already, therefore... My desire is to obey him. So now I'm living from favor, not for favor. But it can only happen in relationship because outside of relationship, it is a constant striving. And Isaiah 64 in verse 6 already tells us that our righteousness is like filthy rags in the sight of God. And so that means that even on your best day, uh, you can't please God. Even on your best day, you can't please God. 
So what is it that will please God? Well, it's the righteousness of Christ. And thanks be to God that he did it. But it takes a relationship. But then you have to be, you have to be aware of that, that need. You have to recognize your sheepness to know that the shepherd is the one you rely on. This morning, we all have an opportunity to, 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 to rely and trust in the one who is the shepherd, the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. So I want to invite you this morning, if you have not uh, made Jesus your Lord and Savior, Romans 10 and 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this is the step that it takes to um, trust in him, believe on him and what he's done, and you can be a part of this sheepfold and this family. If you have made a profession of faith, then the, the, the encouragement and the motivation to you this morning is to remember that you have a shepherd who cares about you, who loves you, who has provided everything for you. And sometimes the tendency is to develop a sense of gospel amnesia as sheep, and we forget the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ. But this morning, I want to point you back to the good shepherd who has done the work on your behalf so now you can live this abundant life, resting, renewed by what he has done, and you can cease from your striving. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you.